Hey, I'm Elijah, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad that you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning again, church. My name is Mitchell Holmes, and I am the uh, children's director here at our Waterford location, which means I get the honor and privilege of sharing the good news of Christ with all of the 5 to 11-year-olds that are at our location here, and I love what I do. And I'm so blessed to be able to be here with you guys today <clears throat> because I'm really excited to, to be given the opportunity and trusted to share God's word with all of you today. So I just wanted to say thank you uh, for being here, and uh, I just wanted to wish you all again a happy Thanksgiving. I hope it was filled with cranberry sauce and, of course, pumpkin pie and lots of turkey, but only the light meat turkey because dark meat turkey isn't good, all right? If you like dark meat turkey, I'm sorry, but you are weird to me, all right? White, white turkey meat is the only way to go. So, um, so I'm so blessed to be here today, and uh, I just want to welcome you all to the most stressful time of the year. As we get past Thanksgiving and move forward to Christmas, right, studies show that Americans' levels of anxiety ramp up in this time. We are more anxious, more stressed than any other time of the year as we, as we approach Christmas. For me, though, uh, one of the most stressful times was about a month ago. All right? If you've been around for a couple weeks, uh, I think Pastor Jason, while, while my wife and I were in Puerto Rico, shared a picture from our wedding day just a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and I tell you, that was a stressful time. Leading up to our wedding, there was a lot to do, right? Lots of burdens, and especially as we're, we're getting married in mid-October, and the, the weather is very volatile, very hit or miss. You know, we're not sure what it's going to look like, and we're getting married outside, and uh, so the week of the wedding, you know, the stress amps up, right? And we're like, oh man, it's, it's supposed to rain all day that day. What are we going to do? The day before the wedding, it pours all day. The day of the wedding, you know, I wake up in the morning, it's pouring. And we're like, what are we going to do? You know, so my, and I love to be able to call her this, but my wife and I, we kind of had this vision in our mind of the way that we wanted the wedding to go. And all of a sudden, what we planned, what we had in our head, right, what we but the vision that we had, it's starting to look like it's got to change, right? We start to develop anxiety as, as our plan for things kind of melts in front of us, right? Now I'll tell you, God was very good. Look, here's, uh, here's a picture from our wedding. God was very good. We were, we were able to have the wedding outside. It stopped raining long enough, long enough for us to be outside and, and, and get through the wedding. But look, look at the bottom of my wife's dress and just how... <laughs> how absolutely muddy it was, right? But now we look back and, and my wife will tell you, right? She's like, I loved it. It made it so exciting. It's something I'm going to remember forever. It's, it's part of the story. You know, the fact that, you know, as we're running from table to table, you can hear my shoes like, you know, like it was, God was so good to us. Despite our anxiety, despite our worry, God took care of us. He knew what we needed. And as we, as we get into this season of, of anxiety and worry with the holidays, right, what's amazing is that Christ here in our, today, in our passage for today talks about worry and anxiety. So today, as we dive into Matthew chapter number six, we're going to start in verse 25. We're going to explore what Jesus said about anxiety, worry, 
in trust. So let's pray and we'll dive right in. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you so, so much for being in control even when we don't see what you have planned, Lord, and and we have a lack of trust and a lack of faith in you. Thank you for being good and faithful anyways. Be with us today as we open up your word, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. So we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna start in Matthew chapter number six, and we're gonna go from verse 25 to 34. And it says this, therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles." So this passage starts off in verse number 25 with Jesus saying, therefore, right? So this tells us that he's connecting the point from the previous section of the passage to the section of passage we're going through today, right? Now, if you weren't here last week, I highly encourage you to go online and and look it up on our website. But Pastor Jason preached about this last week, right? Last week we learned that uh, Jesus was talking about what is the Lord of our lives. Specifically, is money our master or is God our master. In verse 24, it says we cannot serve both. Christ, last week, we learned he was talking about the luxuries of life, money, our possessions, these things that are fleeting but have no eternal value. In today's passage, Jesus switches gears, right? If he was, if he was in earlier in the passage, if he was talking about the nice things, the things that are the cherries on top, you know, the things that are a little extra above and beyond, right? Then this week, he's shifting gears, and he begins talking about the necessities of life. He's preaching to us about our attitude towards the things that we absolutely must have for life. Now, I believe that Jesus is ramping up the severity of trust that we must have in the Father. It's as if Jesus is saying, it's not just the luxuries that God must come before, it's the bare essentials as well. Our attitude towards material possessions and the necessities of life is 100% tied to our trust in God. Our level of trust in God is most demonstrated in our attitude in the area of money and earthly possessions. Now, as we read through that passage, in the Western world, we might you know, be tempted to, to read this at surface value and be like, okay, this is one that I'm just going to skim, skim past real quickly, you know, because in the Western world, you know, we all have dozens of outfits, right? We have a wardrobe that's filled with clothing. We have clean water everywhere. At any time, I could scrounge together $10 and go to McDonald's and get a meal, right? We have all of these things, right? So it can be tough to read this and identify it. 
But if we look past the actual elements of what Jesus said, the message he's saying here becomes clear. He's saying, do not worry even about the necessities. Christ gives the command. He says, do not be anxious three times in this passage. That's in verses 25, 31, and 34. He tells us three times, do not be anxious. And then he goes on to tell us why we do not have to succumb to anxiety and worry. So I want to go through those with you. The first one is that in verse number 25, Jesus is telling us we do not have to worry because God is our master. Again, the passage starts with the word therefore. He's building on the previous point. If you call yourself Christian, what you are boldly declaring before the world is that God Almighty is your master. At the end of the passage, Jesus is asking us, what is your master? Is it money? Is it your possessions? Or is it God? And if you say, hey, everyone, I'm a follower of Jesus. Call me Christian. You're saying, that's God. God is my number one, and he comes before everything else. It isn't your, your money, your possessions. It isn't your success at work. It isn't your, your grades in academia. It isn't your performance or your child's performance in sports. It is God. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, okay, Christian, because God is your master, I say to you, do not be anxious. This is a command from God himself. And if you, if you go back to the Greek, the format that this, that this command is written in, it's saying, what, what Christ is saying here is, if we are struggling with anxiety, if we are struggling with worry, we are to stop. And if we're not, we're going to never start again. That's the way that it's written here. It is, it is this all-encompassing thing. The phrase that Jesus chooses here, he says, do not be anxious for your life. This makes the command all-encompassing. It includes a person's entire being, their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Worry will not reign in any area of our lives because we have the master that we do. Worry is conquered when Christ is Lord. Worry is conquered when we realize who is in control. I tell you, uh, as, as Sophie and I moved forward with our wedding, you know, our, our level of worry starts to amp up a little bit. Um, you know, I'm, let me rephrase, my level of worry starts to amp up a little bit. I'm about to no longer be a single man anymore. I uh, now have a bride and, and a family to take care of. I've got to find a house, right? And can you, do you know how hard it is to find a house in Waterford right now? Ridiculous, right? So my level of worry starts to, to amp up, right? Now I can choose to worry about that or I can know that God is Lord, Conquering anxiety isn't having more. It doesn't come, conquering anxiety doesn't come when we have the house. Conquering anxiety is knowing who our master is. Worry happens when we distrust the promises and sovereignty of God. At Pat's wedding a couple weeks ago, they placed a Bible out and they're like, hey, we want you to go and highlight your favorite verse and put your, your name next to it. And then we're going to have this Bible that has all of the, the people in our lives' favorite verses highlighted, right? And uh, the one that I highlighted is this one that I want to share with you right here. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for, for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. God has a plan in your life. And it is a good plan because it is his plan. 
God is incapable of lying, so when he says that he has a plan in your life, we can trust that it is good. I'm going to rattle off three verses here for you that kind of build on this, this point of, of God having a plan in our life, it being a good plan, his, his incapability of lying, right? Numbers 23:19. These all three will be on the screen behind me. Numbers 23:19. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Hebrews 6-18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. If God has made these promises to us, if he has promised to us to provide for our needs, which is what he's doing in our passage in Matthew today, right? He's made this promise to provide for our needs. If he's made a promise that he has a plan for you, like he did in Jeremiah 29, 11, right? If he's made these promises, if he said these things to you, we can trust that every single thing, every single thing that God has planned for our lives is for our good. It is for our benefit. That doesn't mean that sometimes things don't still hurt. That doesn't mean that sin doesn't creep in and warp and twist what what God intended the, the, the thing to be. It doesn't mean that things don't still get difficult. But will we allow sin to creep in? Will we allow worry, anxiety, and fear to choke us of our joy and our reliance on God? You see, the the opposite of contentment is worry. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Contentment, stillness, relying on him. This should be our default state as a Christian. It demonstrates our absolute faith that we are resting in his arms. Paul says in, in, uh, in the New Testament, he says that he has learned to be content whatever circumstances he is in because he has fully surrendered his life to God. This type of contentment is found only in God. When we are not content, when our contentment is, 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 is drained from us, is, is leaving us, right? it's because we're focusing too much here. We're focusing too much on the things that are in front of us. When we start to worry about losing the things in front of us, we panic. We lose our contentment. How will we respond when we lose our job? When, when the family pet dies? When it rains on your wedding day? How will we respond? Are we going to focus too much on the things that we have, on the things that are immediately in front of us? Or are we going to say, you know what, God? Your will be done. Because can I tell you, everything that we have belongs to him. So why are we worried about his taking from us that which already belongs to him? God owns, controls, and provides everything before us. So our job is just to use these things wisely and unselfishly for as long as he entrusts us with it, however short or long that may be. God is our master. Number two, I want to talk about how we don't have to worry Because God is our father. The last point, God is our master, kind of 
we're, we're talking about how God is in complete control, right? He ha- he's sovereign, right? That means he, he's got divine authority over everything. This point, him being our father, it's not just that he has divine authority, but he also cares for us personally. In the next section of, of the passage, in verses 26 through 30, Jesus lists three worries that people can battle. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He talks about food. He says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? He talks about long life, our desire to live healthy, long lives. And lastly, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? He lists these three worries that people can battle, right? These three necessities for life that we can struggle to trust God with. The first one, worry about food. Jesus begins and he he talks about birds, right? These relatively insignificant creatures. And And he points out, he says, hey, these birds, they have enough resources to eat. We've given them the instinct to find it, right? They do not worry about where their food is going to come from. Arthur Pink says this quote. He says, The birds seek only that which God has provided for them, and when they receive it, they are content. Um, As I was prepping for this message, uh, Pastor Jason texted me randomly one morning just a picture, right? And he's like, hey, look what came on my Facebook. It was 10 years ago. And it's a picture from a missions trip we took to Haiti. It'd actually be on the screen here behind me, right? I'm, I'm down there all the way in the bottom right, kind of a grainy picture. We probably took it on a disposable camera or something. <laughs> so I'm down there in the bottom right, and look, there's your pastor in the bottom left looking like uh, a real young man there. <laughs> so so that's, that's on the beach of Haiti, right? So when I was about 17 or 18, I think I was a junior or senior in high school, we took this trip to Haiti, this missions trip. And uh, if you don't know, in that time, it was 2012, 2013, a hurricane had just hit the nation of Haiti. They had been devastated, and most of the people, most of these Haitians had nothing, right? So as we're, we're making our way around these villages, we're talking with people, we're sharing the gospel of Christ, we're telling them the good news, right? We're praying with people. And as we're making way, our way around, I'm just, I, someone who's barely set foot out of the state of Michigan, am realizing there are people out there who are living in stick huts with tarps. These are families that have maybe a pot to to boil some water, maybe one set of clothing for each member of the family, maybe. Maybe, you know, half of them didn't even have that, right? Um, So these are people who had absolutely nothing. But I tell you what, when Sunday morning came and God's people gathered together for church to bring, to, to, sing praises and hymns to the Lord, they had a joy unlike anything I have ever seen. These people who have nothing, living in dirt with nothing, but they had so much joy that they poured out for the Lord. They shared with those around them, right? It was unlike anything I've ever seen. Again, Arthur Pink says, the birds seek only that which God has provided for them, and when they receive it, they are content. In America, we have more than ever before, and yet our anxiety is higher than it's ever been. We have bigger houses, better cars, more food. The lions are eating three, right? And yet, we're more stressed and anxious than we have ever been. These things creep in when we don't know our Lord as God. 
As I was studying for this, um, something that, that I learned that I did not know, uh, did you know that there aren't any birds that eat excessively? There isn't like gluttony in birds. The only time that we see birds eat excessively is when they are in cages, when they're in human captivity. They, they begin to overeat, right? Uh, these birds, um, they, they, some of them store food for the winter out of instinct, but these birds, they don't store food out of fear. They don't store food out of a desire to show off their hoard to their, to their friends. Like, hey, look at how many nuts I have. You know, I bet you wish you had my hoard, right? They don't do this, right? These, wor- these birds, they inherently do not worry about where their next meal is coming from. One commentator that I read, he says this. He says, they illustrate something that should be intrinsic in all of us, that the heavenly Father feeds them. All of this is true of birds. Birds that are not made in the image of God. How much more will God care for us, those of us that he calls sons and daughters, those that are heirs to the promise of Christ, those that are made in his image, how much more will he care for us? Next, Christ talks about longevity, our, our, our desire to live long, healthy lives, right? Our health and the quality of our life is something that's important to us. You know, we have exercises, diets, regular health checkups. We work so hard and stress so much about the condition of our bodies, and yet God knows the time and date of our passing already. We're not going to worry our way into longer lives, he says. We are meant to use the gift of life for his purpose. We're supposed to impact spiritual things with the gift of life. We're supposed to impact the kingdom. Our concerns should be about obeying him, honoring him, pleasing and glorifying God, and then trusting him to handle the rest in his infinite wisdom and his infinite care for us because he is our father, not just master, not just in complete control. He is our father, and he wants what's best for you and for me. He will take care of us. Of course, this doesn't mean that exercise is evil, okay, I'm not telling you to go home and tell your spouse, like, oh, that diet that you want me to do, it's a sin. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? We, we are to steward the temples of our bodies, right? If the Holy Spirit dwells within us, then our bodies are a temple that houses Almighty God. We should steward that well. We should care for the thing that God has given us. But if that becomes something that we are doing in an unhealthy and an unreasonable way, if we become dis- obsessive and distracted from God, that is when we begin to miss it. We're missing what God has placed us here to do. Something that can show our thoughts on this is the way that we pray. Do we pray, Lord, help me be healthy? Or are we praying, Lord, thy will be done? Lord, thy will be done. The last thing that Christ mentions is, is our worry about clothing. He compares the lilies of the field to the majesty of King Solomon. King Solomon was the son of David, and he built the temple of Jerusalem, right? One of the most accomplished men in human history, right? He would have been one of the most well-dressed humans on the planet at that time, one of the wealthiest men to ever walk the earth, right? And Jesus says, the lilies of the field, that today are alive and tomorrow cast into the oven, are dressed more beautifully than him. It's not a stretch to find ourselves caught in this worry. In a culture that the the trends of fashion are ever-changing, ever-evolving, many people spend tons of time and money trying to get ahead of it and be the trendsetter trendsetter in their social circle. 
As a culture, we idolize fashion, and we need to be careful. It becomes what takes our mind and our focus, and it can consume us. Just look at the commercials that are pushing this consumerism on us. It is an object of worship that we need to be careful of. Now, it's okay to look nice. I love it when someone's like, Mitchell, you clean up nice, right? That's happened to me once or twice, actually, believe it or not, all right? So it's okay to look nice, right? It feels good. But if fashion becomes a concern because you have to look good, you have to present yourself in a certain way, Jesus, saying, Jesus here is saying you're losing the battle to anxiety. As I went through um, this, uh, this sermon with Pastor Jason, you know, he's kind of giving me some tips and stuff, and he's like, you know what, here, I think that you should, you should come up with, a, like, not come up with, but recall a story of a time that, you, that something embarrassing happened to your clothing. And I sat there and thought about it, and I was like, I don't think anything like that has ever happened to me. And then Pastor Phil and I are bringing down the communion uh, stuff this morning, and I spill grape juice all over my jeans. So uh, immediately, I'll tell you what, the worry sets in. I'm like, am I going to go on stage with grape juice jeans right now? Am I going to go soaked, you know, before all these people? The worry sets in, right? We get it. We worry about our fashion, about our appearance, about looking good. Christ here is saying, don't lose the battle to anxiety. With all three of these worries, why is it? That we have faith that God has our eternal destiny in his hand, and at the same time, we lose sleep over whether he will provide for us in the temporary needs of this world. I think it comes down to this. We struggle to put faith in the things that aren't immediately in front of us. You see, we all operate in this little window, right? What we can see immediately in front of us is the present. And we start to say things like, God, I've seen you move in my life back then. You transformed things, right? I know you are real from the way that you've moved, but God, what's in front of me right now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the mortgage this month. I don't know where the finances are going to come from. I don't see a way out of it. Or we'll say, God, I believe in you. I've seen what you did for my friend, right? But I I don't know how I'm going to pay for college. What's immediately in front of me, I don't have the grades. I don't have the scholarships. I don't know if I'm going to get to go to college. I don't see, there's no way. God, I know you have a plan for me. I know you're good. I know you're going to provide a family. But right now, I don't see a marriageable woman in front of me for me to marry you, God. When is that going to happen? When are you going to step in and move, God? With what's in front of me, I don't see this happening. It's hard for us until we see it for ourselves immediately in front of us. Can I tell you, when we feel this way, we're effectively telling God, we're saying, hey, God, I know that I can only see what's immediately in front of me. I have this tiny window right here, but God, you can see the past, present, and future. You built the foundations of the universe. You knew the hairs on my head before the universe began, but this right here, this doesn't look good. I don't know if you can handle this, God. I don't know if you can handle my mortgage this month. I don't know if you can handle what's right here in front of me. This window looks pretty bad, God. And I'm worried that you can't handle it. I know that's extreme. I know that's kind of comical, right? But this is effectively what we're communicating to God when we worry about these fleeting cares of the world. I'm reminded of the the story of Job. Uh, And if you don't know, Job, you should read the book. His life falls apart, right? He loses his his kids, his home, his cattle. He keeps his wife, but he kind of loses her too because she gives up on him, right? And, uh, And in the end of the book, he goes before God and he's like, God, why? I served you faithfully. I was a righteous man. I did your work. Why did you take all of this from me? And he begins to plead his case. And I tell you what, when I read through Job the first time, I was like, yes. 
We get it, right? We, we want to be like, this isn't fair. I want, you to, I, I want you to explain God. But God responds. I'm only going to read one verse. You should read the whole chapter. Job chapter 38 verse 4 says this. God says to Job, he says, hey, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He goes on to say, were you there when I laid the stars in heaven, right? When we have overwhelming anxiety and fear for the future, We begin to plead our case before God just like Job. Read the rest of the chapter. It's a weak case. It's not a strong one. We don't have much leg to stand on there. But here's the thing that's so beautiful about the God that we serve. One of the titles that uh, is listed for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord who provides. The beauty of Jehovah Jireh is he wants to hear from you. He knows everything you need, and he still wants you to tell him about it. He knows every desire of your heart. He understands what you need before you know you need it, and he still wants to hear from you. He wants you to tell him what you are struggling with. He wants you to tell him that you have needs. It's not a sin to have needs and take them to God. But if those needs lead to crippling anxiety and worry for the future, then we're not spending enough time on our knees giving our burdens to Almighty God. Go before him and tell him what's weighing you down, and he will give you rest. God says, I am here for you. I am your provider. Let me tell you how God ultimately provides for us. Because everything that we have here is, is but a fraction of, of the infinite time that we're going to spend with him, right? The way that he ultimately provides for us is he sent his son, Jesus. Now, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus. You're like, I've never heard the name Jehovah Jireh. This may not be making sense. You may find yourself being confused. You're like, my life is falling apart. Things are crumbling around me. And you're saying, all I have to do is just talk to God and I can have peace. We serve an almighty God that sent his Holy Spirit to give us peace. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, when we know that our eternity is secured in heaven, when we look to Christ's sacrifice on the cross and we recognize he bought and paid my way into eternity in heaven, we can have peace even when this world is crumbling around us. Because we know that Christ paid the price. We know where we're going when we die. And if you want to know more about this, find myself or one of the others. Grab someone today. Anyone here would love to tell you more about Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. We still have to remind ourselves daily, though, to go to God. One commentator says this, he says, when a believer is not fresh in the word, the Bible, every day, so that God is in his mind and heart, then Satan moves into the vacuum and plants worry. Worry then pushes the Lord even further from our minds. We serve a God that is not removed from our daily struggles. He is a personal God that knows and cares about our day-to-day issues. Go to God daily in word and in prayer Give him your struggles. Give him your concerns. A mark of a true Christian is one that, as uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, it says, uh, the mark of a true Christian is one that is anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving makes his requests be made known 
to God. As I wrap up, uh, Christ in the, the end of the, the, the passage here, he leaves us with a command and a promise. He commands us to make our priority list as follows. He says, hey, first, seek the things of the one to whom we belong. Seek first the things that he would have for us. Seek first his will in your life. And then second, trust that he'll take care of your needs. To seek first his kingdom means to seek the things that are glorifying to him. It is to reach people with the good news of Jesus that they might be saved and God might be glorified. It is to have peace, joy, contentment that is found only at the foot of the cross, contentment that is found only through his Holy Spirit. He'll bring a peace that passes all understanding is what the Bible tells us. It is to desire his will in your life more than your own will. More specifically, it is to mold your will to better match his will. It is to seek righteousness in all that you do. What this passage is saying, what Christ is saying here, is he's saying, hey, focus on today because tomorrow is in the Father's hands. Your master is in control of tomorrow so you can rest in the fact that you will be cared for. Instead, focus on today. Look to Jesus today. Spend time in communication with him today. Resist the temptations of today. Seize the opportunities for the gospel today. Be constant in prayer. Take every thought captive and push yourself to be present in this moment. Be the best representation of Christ that you can be today and in this moment, every moment. Tomorrow will bring new opportunities, new struggles, new trials, new temptations. But go to God and ask for his help in meeting the needs of today. Your walk with the Lord is a long one, but the only way to take it is day by day. He says, this is your daily bread. Come to me daily. Be present with the Lord. And when situations come up, and they will, remember that three times here, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Take your concerns to him and trust that he is working in the midst of it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we can be so short-sighted. Help us to trust in you. You're moving in the past and you're moving in our future and you will give us peace if we just give you our concerns, Lord. Help us to seek you daily in all that we do. Help us to desire to, to glorify you with all that we say, think, and do. In your name we pray. Amen.